Chapter 4 of The Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shay Davenport, New Orleans, Louisiana. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter 4 My Uncle's Room and My Uncle in It. At right angles to the long black and white house, stood a building behind it of possibly earlier date but uncertain intent it had been used for many things before my uncle's time once as part of a small brewery my uncle was positive that whether built for the purpose or not it had been used as a chapel and that the house was originally the outlying cell of some convent the signs on which he founded this conclusion i was never able to appreciate to me as containing my uncle's study the wonder house of my childhood it was far more interesting than any history could have made it it had very thick walls two low stories and a high roof entering into it from the court behind the house every portion of it would seem to an ordinary beholder quite unaccounted for but it might have suggested itself to a more comprehending observer that a considerable space must lie between the roof and the low ceiling of the first floor which was taken up with the servants rooms of the ground floor part was used as a dairy part as a wood-house part for certain vegetables while part stored the turf dug for fuels from the neighboring moor between this building and house was a smaller and lower erection a mere outhouse it also was strongly built however and the roof in perfect condition seemed newer than the walls it had been raised and strengthened when used by my uncle to contain a passage leading from the house to the roof of the building just described in which he was fashioning for himself the retreat which he rightly called his study for few must be the rooms more continuously thought and read in during one lifetime than this i have now to tell how it was reached from the house you could hardly have found the way to it even had you set yourself seriously to the task without having in you a good share of the constructive faculty the whole was my uncle's contrivance but might well have been supposed to belong to the troubled times when a good hiding-place would have added to the value of any home there was a large recess in the kitchen of which the hearth raised a foot or so above the flagged floor had filled the hole a huge chimney in fact built out from the wall at some time later an oblong space had been cut out of the hearth to a level with the floor and in it an iron grate constructed for the more convenient burning of coal hence the remnant of the raised hearth looked like wide hobs to the grate the recess as a corner was thereby spoiled for coal makes a very different kind of smoke from aromatic product of wood or peat right and left within the recess were two common unpainted doors with latches if you opened either you found an ordinary shallow cupboard that on the right filled with shelves and crockery that on the left with brooms and other household implements but if in the frame of the door to the left you pressed what looked like the head of a large nail not only its door but the whole cupboard turned inward on unseen hinges and revealed an ascending stair which was the approach to my uncle's room at the head of the stair you went through the wall of the house to the passage under the roof of the outhouse at the end of which a few more steps led up to the door of the study by that door you entered the roof of the more ancient building lighted almost entirely from above there was no indication outside of the existence of this floor except one tiny window which vaguely pointed arch almost in the very top of the gable here lay my nest 
This was the bower of my bliss. Its walls rose about three feet from the floor ere the slope of the roof began, so that there was considerable portion of the room in which my tall uncle could not stand upright. There was width enough, notwithstanding, in which four as tall as he might have walked abreast, up and down the length of at least five and thirty feet. Not merely the low walls, but the slopes of the roof, were filled with books as high as the narrow level portion of the ceiling. On the slopes, the bookshelves had, of course, to be peculiar. My uncle had contrived, and partly himself made them, with the assistance of a carpenter he had known all his life. They were individually fixed to the rafters, each projecting over that beneath it. To get at the highest, he had to stand on a few steps. To reach the lowest, he had to stoop at a right angle. The place was almost a tunnel of books. By setting a chair on an ancient chest that stood against the gable, and a footstool on that chair, I could mount high enough to get into the deep embrasure of the little window, whence alone to gain a glimpse of the lower world while from the floor I could see heaven through six skylights, deep-framed in books. As far back as I can remember, it was my care to see that the inside of the glass was always bright, so that the sun and moon and stars might look in. The books were mostly in old and dingy bindings, but there were a few to attract the eyes of a child, especially some annuals in red skill or embossed leather, or most bewitching of all, in paper protected by a tight case of the same, from which, with the help of a ribbon, you drew out the precious little green volume with its gilt edges and lovely engravings, one of which in particular I remember, a castle in the distance, a wood of a ghastly man at the head of a rearing horse, and a white, mist-like, fleeting ghost, the cause of the consternation. These books had a large share in the witchery of the chamber." At the end of the room, near the gable window, but under one of the skylights, was a table of white deal, without cover, at which my uncle generally sat, sometimes writing, oftener leaning over a book. Occasionally, however, he would occupy a large, old-fashioned easy-chair, under the slope of the roof, in the same end of the room, sitting silent, neither writing nor reading, his eyes fixed straight before him, but plainly upon nothing. They looked as if sights were going out of them rather than coming in at them. When he sat thus, I would sit gazing at him. Oh, how I loved him, loved every line of his gentle, troubled countenance. I do not remember the time when I did not know that his faith was troubled. It gave the last finishing tenderness to my love for him. It was from no meddlesome curiosity that I sat watching him, from no longing to learn what he was thinking about, or what pictures were going and coming before the eyes of his mind, but from such a longing to comfort him as amounted to pain. I think it was a desire to be near him, in spirit, I mean, for I could be near him in the body any time, except when he was out on one of his lonely walks or rides, that made me attend so closely to my studies. He taught me everything, and I yearned to please him. But without this other half-conscious yearning, I do not believe I should ever have made the progress he praised. I took indeed a true delight in learning, but I would not so often have shut the book I was enjoying to the full and taken up another, but for the sight or the thought of my uncle's countenance. I think he never once sat down in the chair I have mentioned, without sooner or later rising hurriedly and going out on one of his solitary rambles. When we were having our lessons together, as he phrased it, 
we sat at the table side by side and he taught me as if we were two children finding out together what it all meant those lessons had i think the largest share in the charm of the place yet when as not unfrequently my uncle would in the middle of one of them rise abruptly and leave me without a word to go i knew far away from the house i was neither dismayed nor uneasy i had got used to the thing before i could wonder what it meant i would just go back to the book i had been reading or to any other that attracted me he never required the preparation of any lessons it was of no use to climb to the window in the hope of catching sight of him for thence was nothing to be seen immediately below but the tops of high trees and a corner of the yard into which the cow-houses opened and my uncle was never there he neither understood nor cared about farming his elder brother my father had been bred to carry on the yeoman line of the family and my uncle was trained to the medical profession my father dying rather suddenly my uncle who was abroad at the time had not begun to practice returned to take his place but never paid practical attention to the farming any more than to his profession he gave the land in charge to a bailiff and at once settled down martha told me into what we now saw him she seemed to imply that grief at my father's death was the cause of his depression but i soon came to the conclusion that it lasted too long to be so accounted for gradually i grew aware so gradually that at length i seemed to have known it from the first that the soul of my uncle was harassed from an undying trouble that some worm lay among the very roots of his life what change could ever dispel such a sadness as i often saw in that chair now and then he would sit there for hours an open book in his hand perhaps at which he cast never a glance all unaware of the eyes of the small maiden fixed upon him with a whole world of sympathy behind them i suspect however as i believe i have said that martha moon in her silence had pierced the heart of the mystery though she knew nothing one practical lesson given me now and then in varying form by my uncle i at length one day suddenly and involuntarily associated with the darkness that haunted him in substance it was this never my little one hide anything from those that love you never let anything that makes itself a nest in your heart grow into a secret for then at once it will begin to eat a hole in it he would so often say the kind of thing that i seemed to know when it was coming but i had heard it as a thing of course never realizing its truth and listening to it only because he whom i loved had said it i see with my mind's eye the fine small head and large eyes so far above me as we sit beside each other at the deal table he looked down on me like a bird of prey his hair gray martha told me before he was thirty was tufted out a little like ruffled feathers on each side but the eyes were not those of an eagle they were a dove's eyes a secret little one is a mole that burrows said my uncle the moment of insight was come a voice seemed suddenly to say within me he has a secret it is biting his heart my affection my devotion my sacred concern for him as suddenly swelled to twice their size it was as if a god were in pain and i could not help him i had no desire to learn his secret i only yearned heart and soul to comfort him before long i had a secret myself for half a day ever after i shared so in the trouble of his secret that i seemed myself to possess or rather to be possessed by one such a secret that i did not myself know it 
but in truth i had a secret then for the moment i knew that he had a secret his secret the outward fact of its existence i mean was my secret and besides this secret of his i had then a secret of my own for i knew that my uncle had a secret and he did not know that i knew therewith came of course the question ought i to tell him at once by the instinct of love i saw that to tell him would put him in great difficulty he might wish me never to let any one else know of it and how could he say so when he had been constantly warning me to let nothing grow to a secret in my heart as to telling martha moon much as i loved her much as i knew she loved my uncle and sure as i was that anything concerning him was as sacred to her as to me i dared not commit such a breach of confidence as even to think in her presence that my uncle had a secret from that hour i had recurrent fits of a morbid terror at the very idea of a secret as if the secret were in itself a treacherous poisonous guest that ate away the life of its host but to return my half-day secret came in this wise end of chapter four recording by shay davenport www.shaydavenport.com